French Laundry. It's got to be like now the most famous restaurant in California. Well, I don't know. Is that true? It already was, right? Well, in and out, I guess, if you count in and out. Yeah, I would say either in and out. I'm sorry, did you just say in and out? Yeah, <laughs> in and out probably is the most famous restaurant in California. Yeah, it's a big one. Okay, so it's in and out, then French Laundry. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this late night election night edition of the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. It's about half past midnight on the East Coast and the effort to recall California Governor Gavin Newsom has failed. We're still waiting for the final tally, but it's enough of a blowout that the networks were able to call the race less than an hour after the polls closed. At the time we're recording, it looks like the no vote on the recall is on track to beat the yes vote by somewhere in the range of 20 points. But of course, I wanna also hear the panelists weigh in on where they think this race is headed. So we don't know exactly where it's gonna land because there are still many more votes to count, but we're gonna talk about that right now. The race touched on initially in large part COVID restrictions, but also got into debates surrounding the environment, housing, abortion, and election integrity. So let's talk about all of that. And here with me to do it, our politics editor, Sarah Frostenson. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Galen. Uh, I don't think we've done like a late night uh, podcast like this since November 2020, uh, that that fateful week that we spent in our apartments. Um recording videos and not sleeping. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kind of memories this brings back for you. But uh, hopefully only hopefully only Rough ones. Ones. I think this is earlier, though, right, guys? <laughs> oh, far, far, far earlier. <laughs> also here with us is senior elections analyst Nathaniel Rakich. Hey, Nathaniel. Hey, Galen. And also here with us is editor and California native Maya Swedler. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Galen. Thanks for having me. And this is this is your 538 Politics podcast debut, so it's particularly special to have you. Thank you. So I mentioned the 20-point number that the kind of no on recall, which means keep Gavin Newsom, that might be where this, this race is headed. Does anyone have any more like a fine-tuned sense of, of where this could end up? I don't know. It's hard to say. So right now, with the results as they are right now, where we've counted... Um, a good, like, I think basically all the mail votes at this point, but very few election day votes are looking at a two to one margin for not recalling Newsom. So 67% no, 33% yes. That's a 34% margin. I kind of feel like that margin isn't going to come down that much. Like maybe it'll come down five to 10 points. So like, it's, I feel like this could actually end up being quite significant, like a 25 point win. But then again, I mean, the polls did indicate, you know, more in the neighborhood of a 15 to 20 point win. So maybe it'll be maybe the election day vote will be redder than we think it will be. I don't know. I I don't want to make any strong um, proclamations, but these are these are strong numbers, obviously, to get a call so early. Right. Strong numbers. And we just echo that only 60 percent of the vote has been reported at this point. So it is possible, as Nathaniel was saying, that we'll see more of a shift. But as Nathaniel was getting at, it is hard to imagine that, you know, it's a 10 point shift at this point. Right. Because if I think decision desks like ABC News had thought that that would happen, you know, we wouldn't have had a call so early in the evening. Yeah, I could see a 10 point shift, but a what would it be like a 20 point shift in order to get down to even where the polling average had it seems like a lot. So I feel like the polls, if anything, underestimated um, 
how well Newsom would do. And when we try to break this down in terms of who ultimately turned out, what did turnout look like? Because this is an oddly timed election in a race that many people may not have been aware of until recently. Did a lot of Californians end up voting? And was there some kind of disparity amongst who was most likely to turn out? So right now, there are 8.3-ish million votes reported, which is pretty high considering that's just approximately 60% of the estimated vote. Um, Turnout seems pretty high in the big urban areas. LA County has almost 2 million votes in, um, which is pretty big for an off-year election. The fact that ballots were mailed out to everyone, the fact that Newsom just blanketed the states in ads in August in particular probably helped. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised by how high turnout was, particularly in, in the coastal areas. You know, we kind of have this conventional wisdom that, you know, it's an off-year election, the turnout's going to be lower, but at least for gubernatorial recall elections, and granted, the sample size here is three, um, that hasn't proven to be the case, though. It, you know, oftentimes it's either the turnout is higher than it was in the previous election, or in um, one instance for North Dakota, it wasn't higher, but it was like maybe a 20,000 point drop off. So not a huge um, shift in the amount of people who turned out. So I think that's something maybe we lose sight of, too, is it's ir- it's an irregularly timed election, yes. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, enthusiasm is often pretty high for these kind of elections. Yeah, so just to put some numbers on it, um, this election has already had more voters than the 2014 regular gubernatorial election had in California. That was about 7 million. Um, and it wouldn't be shocking to see it approach the um, the 12 or 13 million who voted in the 2018 um, gubernatorial election, So, which, of course, was very high in and of itself. So, yeah, turnout was impressive. Because so many Californians vote by mail, we were able to track in the weeks leading up to Election Day who was turning in their ballots. And as we talked about on this podcast, it was skewing pretty heavily towards older voters, white voters, educated voters, things like that. You know, as we got down to Election Day, first of all, was there a big turnout amongst Republicans on Election Day? And then also, as far as Democrats are concerned, did younger people and voters of color, particularly Hispanic voters, who are, you know, the largest group of voters in the state in California, you know, was there a boost in turnout there? Based off political data intelligence, which has a ballot return tracker, it does look like the youth turnout ended up being significantly lower than any other age demographic. Only 26% of California voters between the ages of 18 and 34 returned their ballots, compared to 37% between the ages of 35 and 49, um, and 65% of those 65 plus. So even though California is a relatively young state and has a pretty solid chunk of its electorate under the age of 50, those folks are just not quite as engaged as the older voters in the state, at least in this election. Yeah, and then going off the preliminary exit polls we have from this evening, and I think this in particular kind of captures why Republicans had such a challenging uh, road here in the recall, was that 62% um, of voters in the recall rated the Republican Party unfavorably, compared with a 51% favorable rating for the Democratic Party. And then more, you know, fundamentally, Democrats just seem to have outnumbered Republicans in the preliminary exit polls 
sample data by 17 percentage points, so 43% to 26%. Again, as we've said earlier in the podcast, this will narrow as we get more results, but I think that discrepancy there kind of speaks to the larger margin than we even anticipated from final polls for Newsom. One thing we had been tracking, in particular, Alex Samuels had been writing about this on the live blog, is Hispanic voters in the state. You know, following the 2020 election, it seemed as if Republicans really thought that, you know, with a swing of Hispanic voters towards Trump, that maybe Republicans would continue to make inroads there. And what we have seen so far, again, with the preliminary exit data, is that they made up, um, you know, a larger share of the electorate here in the recall um, than they have in previous midterm elections. But 58% voted to retain Newsom, including 62% of Latina women and 53% of Latina men. So there was a drop drop off there among men, um, but still the overwhelming majority of Hispanic voters in California did not want to recall Newsom. And you mentioned here that some of these margins will change as we get full results. When should we expect those full results? So I would say in about a week, um, ballots uh, had to have been postmarked by today, September 14th. I guess that was yesterday now. Um, And they have to arrive by um, September 21st. So uh, shortly after that, we should have all the ballots counted. This won't be a 2020 scenario where ballots had weeks to arrive and, uh, and we were waiting until December, basically, for the full results. All right. So... There you have it. There's like the data that's at top of mind right now. What are the takeaways for each of you in terms of where this race ended up? Just a month ago, it looked actually competitive. Um, you know, we've talked about the Survey USA poll on this podcast before that made the race look more competitive than it actually was. But also, at, even if you take that poll out of our polling average, it was still a race that was in the single digits according to the polls in early August. Obviously, what ultimately ended up happening is very different. So for people trying to like, you know, wrap a bow around tonight's results, what can you give them? Yeah, I mean, one thing we were talking about on the live blog, and I'm, I'm curious for Maya and Nathaniel's thoughts on this was kind of, what role did COVID-19 play in this, right? Like we know that the pandemic played a major role in terms of Republicans having enough time to get enough um, signatures on the ballot to make the recall election a possibility, right? But then ultimately, even though Newsom had a lot of high-profile snafus, whether it was the French laundry, whether it was sending his children to private schools during the pandemic, California voters overwhelmingly in these preliminary exit polls seem to have supported what California has done while Newsom's been governor there. And additionally, you know, looking at the latest CDC data, California has actually done well when it comes to cases in the state, mortalities. And so we were talking earlier, you know, like how much can you extract from this one election about kind of COVID-19 in general, you know, to what extent will it even be the same kind of issue in 2022? And, you know, I, I was kind of hesitant to really read too much into it. This ultimately seemed to kind of boil down more to partisanship, like California is really blue. It's still good to be a Democrat there. But I'm curious, Maya, Nathaniel, what did you guys think in terms of like COVID's effect in the election? I mean, Californians by and large do approve of Newsom's handling of the pandemic. The latest um, PPIC poll of the state found that about six in 10 
uh, Californians liked the way he was handling it, and particularly early on when he was making these big aggressive moves, like instituting um, one of the earlier shutdown orders in the state um, by letting kind of counties reinstitute shutdown orders as the second and third waves hit. Um, people didn't really seem to take as much issue with it as we've seen in other states. So even if it was just kind of partisanship manifesting in a different way, I don't think his actions on COVID were ever such that they were going to turn people who supported him off. They were kind of within the realm of, of reason for a lot of these voters and weren't going to be the reason they wanted to remove him. One other thing that stood out to me from the recall election is, you know, this is kind of affirmation, right, that California is solidly democratic, but it doesn't mean it's super progressive. That was actually a point you had made on the live blog, Nathaniel, and, you know, something we've seen for ballot initiatives in the state. And I kind of wonder, even with this kind of resounding victory and maybe resounding too grand of a way to put Newsom's current standing, but where do we think this leaves kind of Democrats in the state moving forward? Like, you know, is this kind of a mandate for Newsom for the rest of his term? Or how will California kind of thread some of the tensions between being very Democratic leaning, but also maybe not actually that progressive in the state? I would be hesitant of reading support for Newsom as enthusiasm for Newsom. Like, people want him to stay governor. That doesn't mean that they're super thrilled that he is governor. There's not a ton to show for his past couple years um, in the governor's mansion. A lot of that is because of the pandemic. Um, things have just started to move on uh, housing and, and homelessness in the state legislature. But for the most part, a lot of these very progressive policies that he had promised to enact when he when he assumed the governorship in, in January of 2019 haven't really come to be. It's a referendum on him put forth by Republicans. It's just like it's a hard thing to kind of like wrap my head around in terms of what it means for his broader standing among the left. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I bring it up because one thing that stood out to me was that even though voters seem to overwhelmingly have named, you know, COVID-19 as one of their top issues that they were concerned about, we definitely saw in polls leading up to the election, like that wasn't the only thing that voters had been dissatisfied around Newsom. And I'm curious how those fault lines, whether it's, you know, wildfires or housing inequality continue to like bubble up in the state. Yeah, I mean, I think it is worth noting that his recall performance is likely to outstrip his approval rating. Um, you know, we've seen consistently that his approval rating is like in the 50s, maybe like 50, you know, 50, 55%. Um, and it looks like he's going to win, you know, 60, 65%, um, you know, of the of the vote. Um, and so I think clearly, there are people who aren't wild about him, but you know, saw this race as a Democrat versus Republican race. I think that's clear in the county by county results. It looks basically identical to the 2020 presidential map right now. Um, and, and yeah, so, you know, while Newsom, I'm sure will try to claim a mandate and, you know, say that everything is great because, you know, that's what any smart politician would do. They try to spin this in their favor. Um, I think this is little more than a referendum on the Democratic Party in California. Um, and, and Newsom himself, shrewdly in the end, you know, made it into that kind of framing it as a Republican recall. He very much ran against Larry Elder, who was out there, you know, doing Newsom a bunch of favors by saying he would report, appoint a Republican to, to the Senate if given the chance and that he would um, kind of roll back all these popular COVID um, restrictions that Newsom had put into place. Um, and so, so yeah, so by associating himself with a brand that is strong in the state, 
the Democratic Party, Newsom has kind of created a nice little um, aura for himself. Um, but it may be an, a, a mirage, at least to some extent. I want to continue this conversation in just a minute. But first... Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. All right, so picking up on that. So in terms of taking lessons away from this race when it comes to COVID, I think it's also complicated because the trajectory of how COVID was affecting Californians and the country changed throughout the election. And we saw the dynamics of the race change as a result. So towards the beginning of the summer, it seemed like Newsom was moderating a little bit, a little bit more reluctant to, to put in new restrictions at the very beginning of kind of the Delta variant spreading across the country. But then as there were a lot of cases in Texas and Florida and across the Sun Belt, it seemed like him being able to draw a comparison between California and those states worked a lot better for him politically um, than it was when it was essentially him just uh, trying to defend some of the most restrictive policies in the country, which California originally had. So when it comes to, you know, how are Democrats going to run on COVID policy over the next year or so, I think it's hard to say. I think it really depends on, obviously, how the pandemic is doing, where in the country they're running, you know, what concerns people in that part of the country have at that point in time. But I think a lot of people have been saying, well, after this, Biden is going to feel a lot stronger about vaccine mandates and whatever COVID restrictions he might he might have, maybe run more on the offensive uh, you know, I don't know. I think it matters a lot what actually happens on the ground over the coming year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Um, California is not the United States. It's it's more liberal. So I'm not sure that Joe Biden should be looking to this necessarily. But that said, you know, vaccine mandates are popular. And uh, I'm just not sure that this really changes anything for Biden's policy or Democrats policy or anything. I agree. We'll have to wait and see. I will note, and it's not too much of a spoiler because it will be on the site tomorrow, but we are also, you know, doing a piece right now that's looking at the races, the gubernatorial races in Virginia and New Jersey. And even though Virginia is clearly not as blue of a state as California, um, to Nathaniel's point, you know, overall policies, whether it's mask mandates or mandating that, you know, children, once they're eligible, be vaccinated in schools, that is also broadly popular in Virginia. There's more support for the mask mandates than um, support for children getting vaccinated at this point. And that might be because there's not a vaccine yet available for children. Um, but it is interesting and something I think to keep an eye on. But I share your your caution, Galen, and not over-interpreting what we saw in California. What do we think here about the future of the ability to recall governors in California? Is that liable to change? You certainly think Democrats would want to like push this in the legislature, right, Nathaniel, Maya? I know, Maya, you were looking at a lot of um, how California is really quirky on this front before the election. 
Yeah, the the language of the recall that's written into the state constitution essentially has been untouched for about 110 years. Um, so if there's political will to to change it and to make it a little bit more challenging to either get recalls on the ballot by raising the signature threshold or whether they allow, you know, candidates who are on the ballot to be recalled to run as a replacement or whether they just appoint the lieutenant governor, you know, governor, should the governor be recalled like all of this could be on the table. It's just a question of how badly Democrats want to get it done. I mean, they have super majorities in, in both houses, in both chambers of the state legislature. Yeah, and there is support among the California public for a lot of those reforms. YouGov did a poll shortly before um, showing support for, for some of those reforms that Maya mentioned. And that's important because I believe, right, Maya, that um, you know, because it is a change to the state constitution, it would have to then go to to voters as a ballot measure after the legislature passed it. Yes, exactly. All right. So we will see if after, you know, uh, two recall elections this century so far and half of all of the recall gubernatorial recall elections uh, in American history, if California try, tries to change. Not to mention all the local recalls. You know, state legislators face recall elections somewhat regularly in California. Maya has been tracking kind of local level recalls. There's been the San Francisco School Board, the San Francisco and Los Angeles district attorneys. Um, It is a fact of life in California. Yeah. And one last point. I thought it was an interesting one. Joshua Spivak, who, you know, tracks recalls for a living um, as a professor, had made the point on the live blog that, you know, part of the reason why we're seeing some uptick in the number of recalls particularly perhaps at the statewide level so not you know as true of the local ones Nathaniel mentioned but it's just technology it's easier to do it and you know you think too about like the pandemic and we were talking about COVID's role in terms of this recall coming to fruition Um, it's hard to imagine you know without this online um, dysphoria we've been living in that it has the same you know uptake uh, among voters who maybe felt disillusioned in the state and I wonder you know this is a broader point, but resistance politics in the U.S. writ large, you know, how does recall uh, elections factor into that? Yeah, as kind of forbearance breaks down between the two parties and people are increasingly unwilling to accept governance by their opponents, um, you know, I think that that could be a reason for why recalls have have increased in recent years as well. I actually, to give a shout out to my own work, I wrote a piece two years ago now, a long time ago, um, about the increase in recalls. At the time, there were five active uh, attempts to recall governors um, in the in the country, um, and I was taking a look at why that was, and obviously one of them um, came true. Yeah, something to keep tracking. Something else we're tracking this evening is two other elections that also happened tonight. So as we mentioned on Monday's podcast, there were mayoral elections, primary elections in Boston and Cleveland. What were the results? Yeah, so in Cleveland, um, Justin Bibb, a nonprofit executive, um, came in first place with 27%, and City Council President Kevin Kelly came in second place with 19%. Those two will go on to face each other in a runoff in November. Um, this will be a pretty um, kind of uh, a race of contrasts. Um, Bibb is a progressive candidate. He did um, better than I was expecting, at least. And um, Kelly is endorsed by the outgoing mayor. Um, he's more establishment-flavored, um, so that could be an interesting race. Um, and then Boston, actually, you have another um, kind of 
contrasting race setup. Um, the two candidates who advanced uh, were Michelle Wu, who is a progressive city councilor endorsed by Elizabeth Warren, and then Anissa Asabi George, who is a more moderate um, council member. She was she kind of is um, very closely aligned with former Mayor Marty Walsh, who's now part of Biden's cabinet, um, and she has kind of famously in Boston, at least, um, resisted um, reallocating funds away from the police department. Um, So you could see a pretty um, strong and perhaps nationalized kind of progressive versus moderate race there as well. Um, And that runoff will also be in November. Yeah, I mean, and hearing you run through particularly what was happening in Boston, because I know Cleveland had kind of been more of an open question heading into tonight. I'm really surprised Janie, who's been the acting mayor, didn't do better considering, you know, polls going into the race had shown that she had pretty high approval um, for the job she was doing. And as we were talking about earlier, you know, with Newsom, even though his approval was actually a little bit lower than what it looks like the recall vote will have been in the end, that benefit of the doubt didn't seem to work for Janie. Um, And I know, you know, Nathaniel, earlier this week, you'd made strong points around um, both Wu and Asabi George in terms of their candidacies. Um, But having not followed the race as closely, I guess I'm a little surprised by that. Yeah, it looks like Bostonians just didn't treat Janie as an incumbent, um, you know, because she had acceded to the office when Walsh resigned. Um, And so, yeah, they they just didn't give her, um, you know, that boost, as you mentioned. All right. Well, it looks like we are going to have two more progressive versus establishment contests in um, big American cities to to track in the coming months. So we will see what happens. But for now, thank you, Maya, Nathaniel, and Sarah. Go get some sleep. You too, Galen. Thanks, Galen. My name is Galen Daruk. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon.